Hey friends, and welcome to a new episode of the Daily Jenny Podcast with your host, Jenny Angerman. I'm covering all the life lessons and advice I wish I told my younger self. Whether you're just starting out in your career or a working woman looking to start a family, I'm spilling all the tea on things that aren't on the highlight reel of societal norms. So let's sit back, relax, and let's get uncomfortable. Jenny podcast and today I have with me uh, Lauren Ross. I'm very excited to have her. Um, I actually came across Lauren's page in the spring earlier this year and one of the first things that I noticed is her love for cycle bar. You guys all know that I am an avid spinner so I love that she's a cycle bar instructor. Um, She'll give you a lot of fitness motivation, um, a couple other things on her page, healthier food alternatives and recipes, lots of style icons coming out of Lauren. I know that you posted the Old Navy pajama set that I then went out and bought and it's super soft so I'll make sure to link her like to know for all you guys too if you need some style tips Um, but I have Lauren with me today to kind of talk about her infertility journey specifically um, for getting pregnant over 35 Um, so I'm so happy to have you Lauren. Hey Jenny so happy to um, be here and just share with you guys Um, I love your podcast and I love your page as well. And I remember as soon as I saw you wearing a cycle bar shirt in one of your pictures, I knew I had to, you know, DM you and connect, finding out we had that in common as well as our infertility journey. But yeah, so I turned 39 in March. I don't feel that old. (laughs) Uh, I... I don't know. I feel like 39 is such a weird age. You're like late thirties and 40 kind of is a scary age, especially when you're trying to conceive, um, as the infertility community knows when you turn 35, a lot of statistics in becoming pregnant really start to decline. These are things I never once gave thought to when I was younger not once, you know, I just thought, oh, when I'm ready to have kids, then I'll have kids. So um, I think that's one been one of the biggest eye openers for me that I feel like society and education does not tell us enough about our bodies and about fertility. So um, where I've learned the most about, I feel like my body and infertility is through this community, especially through Instagram and Facebook. So thank God for all of you. Um, and I am, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's why I started sharing my journey as well, because when I saw other people's posts, it really helped me and made me feel less alone. So I started kind of sharing my journey as well to hope in hopes that other people wouldn't feel as alone. Um, but just a little background about me. So I got married last year during COVID Um, My husband was previously married and he has two children. So I have two stepchildren and they are eight and 10. And a lot of people say, do you wish you started trying for kids earlier? Um, Do I wish my husband and I were both maybe a few years younger? Yes. But, you know, I really took my time being single and just kind of getting to know myself first. So I don't think if I got married before that time, it probably wouldn't have been the right person. So everything happens for a reason. Um, but we did know as soon as we got married that we did have to start trying, you know, very soon around that time. So I actually stopped taking the pill about, I want to say a month or two before our wedding. 
thinking, you know, my body needed to regulate. I'd been on the pill for 20 something years since before college or right when I started college. Turns out my body actually didn't need to regulate. I was pretty lucky in that aspect. My period returned immediately um, with a vengeance, (laughs) that first one after stopping the pill. Uh, and you know, the first, I would say two months, I wouldn't say that we were like avidly trying, like I didn't know ovulation sticks or anything like that. We just kind of weren't not, not trying, I guess that's how you say it. (laughs) So then right after the wedding, we really started trying, you know, I started using the ovulation predictors and I, I had told my, um, OBGYN in the summer that I wanted to stop the pill And I wanted to, you know, start having kids as soon as we were married. She actually was a little bit intimidating. Uh, It wasn't actually not my regular OBGYN. Mine had left the practice. So this, I had gone for my yearly and this just happened to be the doctor I saw. So um, I felt a little judged based on my age that, you know, she was like, well, you're over 35, your husband's over 35. We know he can have kids because he has to. Just the way the tone she spoke to me and the way she made me feel were put all these questions in my head that had never been there. Um, I will say the one thing that was beneficial I took away from it though was that I probably would not have known. She said at, I guess, typical trying to conceive before going to fertility, if there's no known issues is about a year. And over 35, she told me six months, but to be on the safe side, I should probably call after three. So I did call after three and I'm so thankful I did um, because, you know, it takes a little bit to get in. Then there's like a whole cycle of testing, which I was like, I thought I was going to call. I was going to go in and, you know, then I was going to be pregnant the next month. They were going to work a miracle, but it turns out lots of testing. Um, I think unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. I had, you know, especially like, you know, my husband had to do testing. I had to do testing. And I also want to point out too, that I have no other known, you know, health factors against me, which I know I'm very lucky in that aspect. And I think that's also why I thought I would get pregnant pretty easily that, you know, I, um, many women have PCOS or endo and, they know that they're going to need some assistance right from the start. So I have very regular 28 day periods like clockwork. I could tell you the time of day that my period is coming now, since going to fertility treatments, that's thrown it off a little bit, but still, you know, within that 28 to 30 day range. So they've always been very predictable, very regular, um, you know, same day and time each month. So I, I thought it was going to be very easy, but it turns out that the factor working against me is my age. So one of those first tests they do is to measure your AMH, which is your egg quantity. And mine is low. Low is considered below 1.0. So mine is actually a 0.68 or it was in January, which I know that can change too. It can kind of fluctuate, but um, it's not in the alarming range, but it is low. So, and it just gets lower with time. So as you increase in age, that lower gets number or that number gets lower. And along with egg quantity, the quality of your eggs also declines. There's no real measurement for that. Um, They can't tell that 
ahead of time, unless you, you know, we're going through IVF and they test the embryos, but they, they can't tell that ahead of time. They can kind of make a prediction. So I know the quantity is lower. So I did start taking all kinds of supplements. I'm sure Jenny, you're familiar (laughs) things I never heard of before the COQ10, all that kind of stuff. And that does supposedly after about three months start to improve egg quality. So I do think if I got, you know, tested again, my AMH now, I, I do think it probably would be better. But so right when we were doing all the testing and I found out the AMH and actually the doctor never even talked to me about my AMH. I saw it on the paper and looked it up. What does this mean? So just another example of how we have to kind of advocate for ourselves and find out information, unfortunately, sometimes through Google and other people. Um, So I saw it and I panicked and I said, oh my gosh, it's below a one, it's 0.68. And then about four days later, I actually found out I was pregnant. So my first pregnancy was, was natural. It was before I ever started fertility. So I went to the doctor and I said, oh, I'm actually, you know, pregnant. And I made it to about the six and a half to seven week mark. Um, My progesterone was low. My HCG never really doubled, which again, didn't even know what HCG stood for, what it meant, nothing. Um, And I do feel like they often, you know, the doctors and nurses, and I know they do this all the time and deal with thousands of patients, but sometimes they speak to you as if you should know exactly what that means. I left the office and Googled what's, what's HCG mean? What does progesterone do? I kind of felt stupid. Like I didn't know all this stuff about my body. So, and then with HCG, you know, you go back every other day or every couple of days to see if it had doubled. Mine never really doubled. And, um, at that point, they know that your body is probably going to naturally abort the pregnancy. Now there's two ways I look at that. Could we have done more to support it? Or I guess what I've kind of come to terms with and to accept is that if my body was naturally aborting the pregnancy, you don't want to support something that isn't good. So it probably means that it was a bad egg. Like I said, the the quality of my eggs is unknown, but as you get older, it probably the good eggs are less likely to be found. So I've come to terms that it probably, you know, it wasn't a good egg. Could I have made it a few months and then found out, you know, something was wrong or something was abnormal. So, um, you know, I think what was supposed to happen did, that doesn't make it any less, you know, hard to go through, but I am glad it was early and it definitely taught me a lot and made me kind of become a little bit more in touch with reality um, and meet lots of people online too. And I did start fertility treatments, um, medicated IUIs. I did, it took me about, I actually recovered from my, the miscarriage pretty quickly. I um, got a period back like six weeks later. It was, you know, pretty quick. And then I, the next cycle I took off as advised by my doctor. And then we did a medicated IUI the next cycle. So, and that, IUI actually was successful as well. Um, Again, I know that's not the case for everyone. So I I do feel lucky. So what we learned is that the sperm and egg are able to meet. It's just sticking and staying. So that one was successful, but it was something called 
uh, chemical pregnancy or a missed miscarriage. Whereas if I was never going through fertility treatments, I probably would have never known it existed. But anyone in this community knows that, you know, as soon as you hit about one week, you start testing or thinking about testing, trying to resist testing. So I started testing about nine days and it, it did show. Um, and I went to the doctor day 14 and then by day 16, we realized, you know, that it was, again, my body was naturally aborting the pregnancy. So that one was very early. It was only like four and a half weeks, but so then next I go tried for another IUI and, um, we had to cancel because my body didn't respond to the meds, which again, I assumed being naive, I said, well, it worked so well the first time it's going to do the same thing again. And it did not. I think sometimes our bodies get used to certain things and that was something out of the ordinary. So then it adjusted itself the next time. So then I took another month off to go on our delayed honeymoon. Um, I decided that that was what was best for me mentally and my husband mentally as well to just, you know, we had waited so long. We had rescheduled multiple times over COVID and we finally were able to go that I didn't want to be worried about timing and, you know, could I have the strength on this medicine or were the dates going to coincide with when I might ovulate? I just couldn't put myself through that that month. So we took that month off. That was um, June. And then this month we did another medicated IUI, but with different meds this time, since last time my body kind of went nuts Um, and everything looked great. I'm currently in the two week wait, so we'll see trying to resist testing, Um, but everything looked as good as it could. So what I keep saying is that I've just got to hope for a good egg and it's implant correctly, which I, I do know. The, the first IUI, it probably didn't, the, the environment wasn't ideal, but this time it did look ideal, meaning like my uterine lining and everything like that. So here we are, I'm coming up on about 12 months trying. And I know in this community, that is not very long, but I do feel at someone at my age, time is of the essence. Uh, And we do only plan to have one child. I mean, unless I would be so blessed with twins. I would love twins. (laughs) You know, as you get my husband, not so much. He's like, all right, chill. (laughs) We're, we're both like really hoping that like whenever we get pregnant, it's twins. That would be like true, but you know, it's, it's funny. Like as you were talking, um, I feel like we're like, where's the education? It's literally nowhere. And like, I know, you know, you're always taught like, not everything on the internet's true, fair, but you don't get these resources in school. It's not like they teach these in like sex ed. Um, even when you go to the doctors, to your point, they see like thousands of women. So sometimes I, I think they forget like that bedside manner and know like we're not doctors and nurses. We didn't go to medical school. Right. We don't know what all these terms and numbers and figures mean because I've done the exact same thing you have. It's like I get my test result in the portal I look at it and I'm like, I don't know what the hell this means. So I have to like go to Google and be like, is this good or bad? And it's just like a mental mind game. Yeah. I mean, even like my mom, like knows nothing about any of this. And at first she kind of avoided really asking me anything about it because I think it made her uncomfortable, but she didn't know because we are very close. Um, So I actually did have to confront her and say like, 
you know, it kind of hurts my feelings that you see, you don't ask about anything and you seem like awkward talking about it. And since then she's been great. I think she just didn't want to overstep and she really didn't know what to ask. And I found that with a lot of my family and friends, I mean, as you know, through my Instagram and, and it's public and I share with anyone, I'm an open book. I think that being honest and upfront sometimes helps people understand where you are. And so many other people have reached out to me and said, Hey, I had a miscarriage or Hey, I had three miscarriages. And one girl reached out to me recently and said, I've been trying for a year thinking about going to fertility. Can you tell me more about it? And she lives close to me. So she went to the same clinic and she just went, had her first IUI. And she's like, thank you so much. My sisters both um, had kids very easily and I can't talk to them about it. So I've, I've met so many people through it that I've continued to be open and I'm glad I have. And there's always going to be the people who say, you know, why are you telling everyone your business? Well, I don't really have anything to hide. And if it makes someone uncomfortable, that's, that's honestly their issue. That means that they just, you know, that's the stigma around, you know, pregnancy loss, infertility that is not talked about. And of course, miscarriage has been around since the beginning of time, but you didn't start hearing about it or fertility till I'd say about 10 to 15 years ago. So I think we need to be open and honest and let people know, hey, it's a very good possibility that you might have difficulty getting pregnant and you might have a miscarriage, but here are the things you need to know. And here's everything you can possibly do to on your end. And not saying like, there's not necessarily things you can do, but it's really just taking care of yourself. Just to like, you know, best practices, if you will, for infertility. Because right. I mean, I felt the same way at um, 30. I'm 30 now. And when we started trying, I was 27. I mean, I will say we expect to have some issues with the PCOS. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of spiraled into the endometriosis. And then we're like, oh, well, we're probably screwed. So now we're here three years later. And um expects that people think because in school you're taught like if you have sex once you'll get pregnant and then you'll die right that's literally like the things they, we used to do to not get pregnant right and it's like wow I spent all this time like on birth control like trying to be safe and I'm like this is not not working for me um and it's just like such a shame because I think a lot of women now they're waiting longer to get pregnant women are a little bit more career focused make waiting to find the right man like you did. And um, they're not having kids at like 20 anymore. Like sure, people still are. But I think like, there's definitely a generational shift. So I have noticed that, I mean, since I've been open, more people have been reaching out to say, hey, I have two, but like, they don't talk about it, because nobody talks about these things. And I think we should be talking about it exactly to your point. Because one is very lonely, very isolating. Like I used to, I remember the first time I shared with a friend, I could like barely because I was getting like so choked up in my words I just felt like so heavy in my chest like just wanted to cry but I mean now I'm an open book I'll tell anybody anything and they're probably like you're a weirdo but it's just like such a it's almost like for me it's almost been like kind of therapeutic and sharing and like oh, meeting yes. so many people 100%. and even to your point earlier I think <clears throat> I have more people in the infertility community and endometriosis community that reach out and ask about questions but I think like friends and family just don't know how to ask or they don't want to come off like offensive or too intrusive, like things like that. But, um, I mean, just ask. 
There's no yeah, that's, that's what I've told my friends and family. Like my one friend um, even like texted me this morning and said, Hey, I don't want to bother you or like intrude, just wondering how you're feeling. And I said, I don't ever get mad at someone for asking. I'd rather you ask than assume something or just be like scared to ask that you're going to upset me. It, I mean, of course, sometimes will I be upset depending on the situation? Yes. But talking about it has been very therapeutic for me. I also feel like being so open, like through my posts on Instagram helps me not have to tell the same situation or story a hundred times. So, you know, if I go to, I was going to say a party, but like, it's still kind of a pandemic. So I'm not really going to a party, but you know what I mean? Like I had an outdoor birthday party last weekend and, you know, so I don't have to tell a million people the same thing. And they might just be like, Oh, how are you feeling? And if I am, and maybe not the great place, they have a better understanding. Like I'm not just being like a B that day that, you know, she's got a lot going on. So that's, that's kind of part of it too. I actually told the day of my last IUI, um, which was like 10 days ago, 11 days ago, I think I taught cycle bar in the morning. And, um, I actually scheduled my doctor's appointment around cycle bar. Cause I was teaching a free Brittany ride and I love Brittany and it was a packed class. And for me, which, um, I'll get into a little after this too, that I knew that exercising before, and especially to, to Brittany was going to put me in the best mental place and physical before having the IUI. So I scheduled it right after. Um, but I told my class in the beginning, you know, guys, I have a really important procedure right after this. I know some of, you know, cause you follow me on Instagram and I said, and for those of you don't and are wondering why, you know, this stranger is telling me this personal information. Um, you know, I'm an open book, but I can use all of your, you know, prayers, positive vibes, whatever you got. And everyone like cheered and was so happy and so pumped. The energy was so good. Um, but it put me in like a really good place. Um, so that, that was another thing that I was going to talk about too, that I know one of the things I learned in this community is so many of the different things you can do, can't do, supposedly. No one really knows. I feel like it's all kind of a speculated. Uh, my doctor actually said to me, there is no food that you can eat that's going to help. She basically said that to me. I mean, you can eat a balanced diet is basically, you know, the guideline. But, you know, we hear things like, you know, the pomegranate juice, the Brazil nuts, the pineapple, she doesn't really believe in any of that. Do I think if you do all the little things together, they can help? Yes. But I don't think there's one thing that's going to be the difference between not being pregnant and being pregnant. I think it's all those things together and they all have different, you know, nutrients and vitamins that could be adding, you know, a better chance to being pregnant. Um, so I've always really eaten a, a pretty balanced diet. Um, I kind of follow, you know, the 80, 20, that, you know, 20% of the time I eat whatever I want. I love desserts. I love sweets. I love wine. Um, and then 80% of the time I eat, you know, fruits, veggies, whole grains, things like that. But I also love to go out to eat. So every Friday and Saturday night, you can find me not cooking <laughs> and going out to eat. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, and when I went over all this at one of my first appointments with my doctor, 
about, you know, what I eat and what I drink, how much I exercise. Cause, um, be teaching cycle bar. I teach usually about three to four times a week in the summer on floor, but some weeks are more. And each class, as you know, Jenny is pretty intense. It's, it's honestly considered like high intensity intervals because, um, you're not riding. Yeah. You're not riding the same speed the whole time. So, you know, I asked her about that. Do I need to stop teaching? And she said, continue to eat how you're eating, continue to live your life. Um, if you're already exercising at that intensity, you shouldn't change anything. So, um, now I was also doing pretty heavy lifting and pretty intense, um, cardio and weight interval training. I did scale back on that, but, more so because my goals just changed. Like my goal right now is not to be a bodybuilder or, you know, a, a CrossFit champion. It's not. And if it is that, if that's someone's goal, that's great. But that wasn't mine at the time. So I really had to think, why am I doing this? So I'm lifting weights to stay, you know, toned and to, you know, keep my muscle and cardio is mostly for my mental health. Um, it really helps with my anxiety, but also for cardio. So, you know, those things, I think when you're in the best mental state and you physically feel your best, then you're setting yourself up for, um, you know, to carry a child in the best way you can. Um, and I know people once like my best friend is pregnant. Um, we actually got pregnant around the same time, the first time. So she is 30 weeks now, which is crazy. Um, I feel like it went so fast. So obviously she's also a cycle bar instructor. She has scaled back her workouts big time because they've become, you know, uncomfortable or she's out of breath. So you really just have to listen to your body. If you're able to do it and you were doing it before, then there's no reason why you can't continue it. Um, I know they say once you are pregnant, my doctor told me your heart rate shouldn't go over 150, which in class I've noticed sometimes it does. So that would mean, you know, more breaks or getting off the bike a little bit more. But I think, you know, you shouldn't change your lifestyle drastically one way or the other. Um, If you were, you know, drinking wine once in a while and having dessert and then you completely cut it out and only eat fruits and vegetables, that's a shock to your system as well. So your body has to adjust to that. So you don't want to change anything too drastically. And then if you were lifting and running or um, biking, and then all of a sudden you just completely stop working out, that's not good for, you know, your mental health or your heart health either. So now during one of my IUIs, I did scale back a lot and I didn't really teach. I only walked. So I did try that. And it still didn't work. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to live my life as is. And, and the first time I got pregnant was when I was heavy lifting. And um, it was like right after the holidays, which we all know how we eat and drink around the holidays. So I don't really think there's any rhyme or reason (laughs) to it. Um, So right now I'm just kind of working out as usual, not heavy lifting. I probably lift like 10 pound or 15 pound weights, depending on, and then doing, um, teaching four times a week. So keeping my workouts under an hour, trying to be in tune with my heart rate, not letting it spike up to, you know, 175 or anything like that. But so just making sure that I feel good 
mentally, physically. And I think that's what's most important. And this is like probably so cheesy for me to say, but I feel like cycle bar literally is like saving my life because like in the pandemic, it was like, well, it sucked when it was closed for a little bit, but when it opened, that was the only place I could go other than the grocery store. And then like with all this stuff with endometriosis and infertility, like if I didn't have a workout, I feel like I, like my mind was so clouded. So I would go, I could just leave it all behind and it would completely like change my mood around because when you were talking about the Britney ride, that's what every single ride is. It's like such a party. All the instructors are like high energy. Like they're here to have a good time. The energy of all the riders in the room is always super great. And it really just lifts your mood so much. So I love it. I'm actually looking forward to tonight's ride because it's an explicit ride, which are always my favorite to just go ham on. But um, I know we talked about this before, but it's like so interesting to me how operates just a little differently when it comes to like working out during the two week wait, because my doctor basically said, like, don't become breathless. And like, I'm always breathless. With me too. Me too. Up, like, I, I'm always trying to go ham. And so I've been trying to keep it between like 130 to 150, like max. So I'm like, all right, this is a really great hill I want to climb. But like, how, like, it's hard to know what would be affecting like an IUI working or not. I mean, obviously it hasn't worked for me since. So I don't know what the magic sauce is for that, but definitely if for anything, my own mental health, I have yeah. to work out. Well, and I think kind of, like I said before, I don't think it's just one thing. Like if you do a workout and, and your heart rate happens to get to 170 one time, I don't think that that is going to be, you know, the end of it or what ruins your IUI working. Um, I just think it's, I guess, trying most of the time to be in that safe space. But um, like the other day I went for a run, which I'm not a big runner. Sometimes I just do it as like a warm up. but I, I don't even know if you could call it running. <laughs> I was like crawling the other day because I was looking, my heart rate does get, my heart rate actually gets higher running than at cycle bar, maybe because I'm more used to cycle bar, but it got, it can get pretty high. So I was like crawling, like if people were watching me, they probably were like, is she speed walking? Is she running? What is that? But I was trying to keep my heart rate down. Um, and I definitely got, whenever I started to get breathless, I would pull it back a little. So I think it's just listening to your body. You just, you don't want to put your body under stress um, because then it takes that like fight or flight response. So I think that's, you know, really, you don't want it to linger in that period too long. Um, I actually, other than cycle bar, I don't do high intensity intervals during the two week wait, because um, I feel like you're spiking your heart rate and lowering it, spiking lower, spiking lower. So I don't do that other than cycle bar, but scaling it back. Um, so I usually just do like a little cardio warm up and then just lift some free weights at a very, you know, slow, comfortable pace. But um, it's really just to keep myself moving. And like you said, the mental aspect of it is um, I do have, you know, generalized anxiety disorder that I realize that's what it was in my twenties. Um, and what has been a lifesaver for me is exercise. And, um, I used to work out as I'm sure we all did at some point in our lives when I was younger to lose weight. That was my goal. That's what I, why I did it. 
Um, now I don't even really think about that. I just do it because I know after the workout, I feel so much better whenever I'm stressed about anything infertility, whenever I don't want to do the workout because I just want to, you know, sit and cry and I do the workout and I feel so much better. So (laughs) I've realized that the hardest part is just showing up and doing it. And then, you know, the rest, as soon as you start doing it, you're like, Oh, that's why I'm here. That's why I did this. I think like also during the two week wait, it's a good distraction because like Mm -hmm. for my two week wait, I always plan like a million things because otherwise my mind just like wanders and I'm like, I gotta take a test, gotta take a test, gotta wait to take the test. Like it's too much for me, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's a lifesaver for sure. And luckily it's like across the street for me. I remember your last, uh, or maybe it was one before that your two week wait and you were away and traveling. And I was like, how are you not testing? And you were like, well, I planned, made all these plans. So I followed your lead this time. And I, like, I, I don't think I sat down from Thursday to Sunday. And now this week is the week where we're actually moving. So I'm focused on that stuff. So that has really helped. I've not like obsessed about it or anything like that. So um, that is good um, advice. Follow Jenny's I'm, advice. Yeah, I'm so glad I could help. I mean, like, otherwise, you just sit there and like, still and you're like, what's this like you have like a little cramp you're like oh am I pregnant is that implantation bleeding let me google and then it's like you can't you will literally drive yourself crazy doing that so my my um, advice for every two-week wait is to my (laughs) first my first cycle after going like starting at the fertility clinic oh my goodness I would spend all day googling different things what what are possible pregnancy symptoms is this a symptom and you can literally google any specific symptom and there'll be some connection to pregnancy but um also cramping i cramp probably 90 percent of my cycle whether i'm getting a period or both times that i did become pregnant they felt identical like nothing different identical so i've given up on reading the cramps (laughs) tough because then you're like oh, I feel like a little sick. Like, did I eat too much? Am right. I getting nauseous because I'm pregnant? Like, nobody knows. Like, you don't, I mean, you try to guess the best you can, but it drives you crazy. But anyhow, um, mm-hmm. so we do have some questions. Yeah, sorry. Um, so we'll, just now. <laughs> I, know, I like love this. It's amazing. Um, and I appreciate you being being so open. I think it helps others, especially if they're over 35 and trying that, you know, because I think, how you said the doctor talked to you. That's one ridiculous. Like no one should have to feel like they're being talked down to or that they're not making the right decision because it's like your life. Who, who sh- that doctor didn't tell you anything. But um, so this will help lots of people in here. Um, the first question that we have here <clears throat> is, <laughs> can you get pregnant over 35? I would say like based off your story, the answer is yes. Well, yes, the, the answer is yes. And some honestly, sometimes age has nothing to do with it. I mean, two of my best friends are now 40 and they both were pregnant at 39. And, you know, I'm sure we hear these stories. I, they said I had sex one time and they were pregnant. Um, so it really depends on the person. I mean, it, it definitely is proven that women over 35 for, um, you know, as a statistic that your chances of getting pregnant decline um, each month. I think 
I actually don't know the percentage, so I'm not going to try and give fake information. Um, but I know it's pretty low. It's like a 10% or something like that each month. And like I said, the quality and quantity of your eggs can decrease, but it differs from person to person. Someone's qual or quantity could go that AMH level could go from like a six to a five. Whereas I don't know my starting point. So mine was a 0.68, but I don't know where I started before that. So I think it just depends on the person and your chances of miscarriage definitely increase after 35. I don't know the exact number of that either, but again, cause I, no one told me this, but I know it's higher. Um, also of recurrent loss, which, you know, I have had, and they do say after you have two in a row, you know, third may, might become a little more likely. It's still a low number though. So if this IUI does work, I'm hopeful, but yeah. So the answer is yes, you can. It just might be a little bit harder, might take a little longer. So if you are 35 or older, do not hesitate to go to a fertility clinic. They will help you get to know your body really well. And, um, they're just great. I love my clinic. They're awesome. And I'm glad that I, you know, after three months I called cause that whole first month is just testing, which I think people don't realize. It's funny to me when, um, people say like, Oh, well, you're not getting any younger. Like people usually when they have like their second, third, fourth kids, they're like almost 40, if not over 40. So, so I just don't understand the stigma in it. You know, so if you have if you have already had a child before 35 and then you go to have a second, third, um, your chances are a little higher. Like my friend who I was talking about, who got pregnant at 39, she already had two children before she was 35. So, um, her chances were a little higher than someone like me who's never had children. But yeah. Um, when I found out it was, if you're 35 or older, you're labeled, um, geriatric pregnancy or advanced maternal age. So, um, those two terms are a little scary. I heard geriatric and I was like, what? I just still feel so young. And I've always, since I was little looked like I was like 12. I mean, I definitely is catching up with me now, but I just always thought, you know, Oh, I'll be fine. I also, I wanted to mention this earlier. I also was a very late bloomer. I didn't get my period until like a month before my 16th birthday, which that's unheard of in the year 2021. (laughs) But, um, because I feel like kids get their periods much earlier now, but yeah, I was like 15, almost 16. So knowing that I thought like that bought me a little more time, which the doctor and nurse did tell me that is there could very well be the case, but I don't know. I guess we'll see. <laughs> um, Janet Jackson had a kid at 50. So I'm yeah. looking at that can happen for anybody. Um, you may just right. need a little science behind it. So, all right. Next question that we have here are, what are some of the barriers for getting pregnant over 35? I know you touched on like a couple of these. Yeah. I think, like I said earlier, if you're, egg quality and quantity declines with age. Um, the risk of miscarriage is higher. Um, that was a a huge shocker to me. That first miscarriage was like, like a slap in the face. I just had never known how common it was. Um, 
And I felt bad for that. I then felt bad for people I knew who had had them, who opened up to me, some of my close friends. And I felt bad that I never knew that. So I think that's important that we make that known too, that it is a very common thing. But yeah, so that risk goes up, especially if you haven't had any children before that age. Also, the pregnancy itself can be a little bit tougher on your body. Uh, Many times they either won't let you or you can't carry to term. Um, You can carry pretty close, but like they won't let you go like 40 weeks. You'll probably, you know, a lot of times you do have to have a C-section too, which honestly, I'm sure you feel the same way, Jenny, that at this point, like if I gain 60 pounds when I'm pregnant, if I have to have a C-section, whatever, you know, I literally do whatever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to embrace the hell out of that bump. However big it might be. (laughs) Yeah. My, uh, my husband makes fun of me because he's like, I know that you would literally like cut your arm off if it would help your chance to get pregnant. Like have a kid. I was like, I, I would. Absolutely. Cut off all all my limbs and you can have, you can have them. (laughs) But I mean, I just feel like that's what we do when going through this. Like we would go to the extreme to make it happen. I think you have to, um, another thing I just thought of, I, I think you do have a little bit more frequent check-ins when you are over 35, because you're automatically considered high risk. So they just have to, to, um, keep checking in on your health and then the baby's health as well. Yeah, that's good. Well, that's a good tie into the next question here. Um, has your doctor mentioned if there's any specific risks that you should be like more wary of, not just like for, for you, but like for even a baby as well? Like I said, in the beginning, she asked me about, you know, my nutrition, my exercise level or activity level. And, um, they check your weight to see your BMI, to make sure it's in a healthy range. And all of those things were, you know, acceptable and, would provide, you know, a good environment to carry a baby. But, um, I also opted in the beginning when I got my initial blood work to have, um, genetic testing myself to see if I carried any, you know, abnormal chromosomes of, you know, there's so many things about your body that you don't know that you could carry a chromosome and it not affect you, but you could pass it on to a child. So everything came back normal. Um, so, you know, ahead of time, no, there's nothing that she is really concerned about. Um, And then the last question that I ask all of my guests is what's one thing that you would tell your younger self? And that can be anything. It doesn't have to be necessarily. No, I love this question. Someone asked this actually on my Instagram the other day. So I feel like this does relate to infertility, but So I would say to let go of the plan, because I think we all sometimes have this plan in our head of how our life should go and things we should be doing at certain points in our life. And some of that pressure is placed on us because of society too. But I always thought I would get married when I was 27. And then I was going to have three kids by the time I was 30. And if you think about the science of that, that would be pretty, pretty tough to have all three kids before I was 30, but, um, I'm going to be a young mom and be cool. And that's what I thought. And, you know, when I reached age 27, I actually think I was still living with my parents when I was 27, I moved back with them for a little bit. And I just was, you know, not in a good 
I'm not going to say not in a good, but not in a place in my life or in a space where I was really ready to be, even be in a relationship, especially have children. So, um, I eventually let go of that plan. And there were many times where I wanted to, you know, I was losing hope, but I'm glad I stuck it out. And I know that there is a greater plan ahead, even if I don't know it yet. So I love that. I think that, um, that's something that I'm still learning to give up the plan. Cause I think we're like, Oh, we're going to get married. We're going to have kids. Like, cause we've always wanted four kids. That's right. I'm hoping I get one. Like, right. You have to kind of just let yourself breathe a little bit and embrace what's currently happening and not always be so right. focused on the future. So I think that's really great advice. And if I, so if I were to get pregnant today or any point moving forward, that means that I'm going to actually have the baby at either 40 or older. And I just never would have imagined that when I was younger. And it is what it is. I mean, like you said, people do things later in life now. And, um, you know, my husband always says that he's going to be like the old dad at soccer practice because, <laughs> you know, our, my stepkids are um, at that age now where they're playing sports and in elementary school, but he has a hard time getting over that stigma of being older and he'll be 40 before me. So he's 40 in October. <laughs> so he's like, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm going to be 40 years old, blah, blah, blah. But um, I think, he, you know, you just have to let go of expectations. And I always yeah. say, trust the timing of your life that mm-hmm. you might not understand it now, but, and I say this at cycle bar a lot too, that someday <laughs> you're going to understand why everything happened as it did and just make sure that you see the lessons and everything or else you, you are wasting your own time. But as long as you're getting something out of it or learning something from it, then you can't say it, it was wasted. Can I just say my favorite part of cycle bar is the connect thought and wisdom that I get. I feel yes, like it's like yeah. every time, like, I feel like you're speaking directly into my soul with this. With this oh, good. Right now. <laughs> but no, like good. you're, you're like 1000 percent right and you guys will still be the cool parents don't even worry you guys are already too I know I will be we'll, we'll see I'm just I kidding. mean he'll have to just follow suit but you'll yeah. always be the cool mom for sure um but thank you so much this was amazing again I appreciate your vulnerability in sharing your story I think it's so important uh, to share stories of real women going through this and just to know that nobody is alone um but yeah thank you so much I appreciate it Thank you for having me. And even just talking to you this whole time, first of all, I felt like we were like old friends, but also made me feel less alone. And sometimes when you talk to someone else going through it, it almost makes you like laugh at certain things about, you know, infertility and not be so serious sometimes, which. Well, I think we we have to laugh or else we'll just be crying all the time. But you know, I'm I'm here for you all. Like we, I feel like we talk like daily. Um, anyways, but, um, yes. you're always su- such a light, always good to go to you for advice. And I feel that feel the same. It's such a amazing community. I know like being open about it isn't for everybody, but you know, both our DMS are, are always open. Um, yes. if anybody wants to chat. I love hearing from others in the community and going through similar things or, um, you know, thinking about starting to go to you know, fertility, I don't know everything, but 
for sure. I learned something new every single day about infertility, but I have definitely learned a lot since the beginning of the journey. (laughs) Yes, I agree. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Until next time. Have a great day, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Daily Journey podcast. If you have a topic or a question you'd like me to discuss, feel free to email me at thedailyjourneypodcast at gmail.com or you can hit me up on the gram at the Daily Journey Podcast. You can listen to me on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and I would love it if you gave a rating, left a review, or subscribed. Until next time.